Go ahead and take your Bibles, and we are going to be in Nehemiah t- today, continue our series from Nehemiah, and we are going to go through two chapters today, mainly because uh, we're going to see here in Nehemiah chapter 3 that pretty much uh, the whole chapter is just kind of uh, just given a list of names of people um, who basically were just uh, helping with the work. And so, uh, there is a principle here that we can kind of learn from this that I, I do want to share with everyone, but we'll also kind of see the same thing in, theme in chapter 4. So, let's go ahead and go through Nehemiah chapter 3. We want to make sure we cover all of it, the book of Nehemiah. And it says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the son of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and locks thereof, and bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kaz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana. And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of uh, Besodiah. They laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moronathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, even unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Next unto them repaired Uziel, the son of Harhiah, the goldsmiths. Next unto them also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. Next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of Harumph, and even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hattish, the son of Hashbaniah, Melchijah, the son of Haram. And Hashab, the son of Pehath-Moab, repaired the other piece and the tower of the furnaces. And next unto them repaired Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley gate repaired Hanan and the children of Zenoah. And they built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and a thousand cubits on the wall into the dung gate. But the dung gate repaired Melchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of uh, Bethacarim, he built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Colhozeh, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and under the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the ruler of half part of Bethzer, under the place over against the sepulchres of David into the pool that was made and unto the house of the mighty. After him repaired the Levites. Rehum the son of Bani. Next unto him repaired Hashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Kilah, in his part. After him repaired their brethren. Bavai the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half part of Kilah. Next unto him repaired Ezer the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah. Another piece over against the going up to the armory at the turning of the wall. After him Barak the son of Zebiah earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall, even unto the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, another piece from the door of the house of Eliashib, even to the end 
of the house of Elisha. And after him repaired the priests, the men of the plain. After them repaired Benjamin and Hashab over against their house. After him repaired Azariah, the son of Maasiah, the son of Ananiah by his house. After him repaired Benui, the son of Henadad, another piece from the house of Azariah under the turning of the wall, even under the corner. Pelah, the son of Uzai, over against the turning of the wall in the tower which lieth out from the king's high house that was by the court of the prison. After him, Pedaiah, the son of Perosh. Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel under the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out, even under the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate repaired the priests, everyone over against his house. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Immer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shimeiah, the son of Zechariah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, another piece. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. After him repaired Melchiah, the goldsmith's son, under the place of the Nethanims and the merchants, over against the gate of Mifkad. And to the going up of the corner, between the going up of the corner and the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. Now, it's a tough chapter, isn't it? Okay. Now, how many just enjoyed and got inspired from the reading of that? Okay. Now, when I was studying this, I actually got a little bit of inspiration from this. Okay. Now, you say, all it is, is just saying who helped. And I get that. But think about this. Nehemiah, at the beginning of this book, he's somebody who's burdened for the house of the Lord because the walls are broken down. Nobody's doing anything about it. You know, the people are a reproach. And, because, and so people didn't like that Jerusalem was a mess, that it was a shame and that they were approached. They didn't like that, but nobody was doing anything about it. But then one guy, one guy, Nehemiah, he gets a burden for the house of the Lord. One guy decides, hey, we need to do something about this. And now we have, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't count the people but we have a large number of people that are all now doing a great work for the Lord. And so this is, this is a, 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 there's a great lesson that we can learn here. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time you know, preaching on this. But this is why it's so important for every individual to do what they're supposed to do. Everybody needs to do what they're called to do. The work that you do motivates other people to do work as well. And so you might think, well, I'm not that significant. I don't do that much. But you being obedient to God, you doing something might cause somebody else to do something and understand work spreads. So we are, none of us are just an island on our own and we shouldn't feel that way. We are all a part of a team and what everybody does matter. And let me tell you, people get discouraged. People that are doing good works, they get discouraged and sometimes it's, you know, it's because they feel like they're alone. They're not getting a lot of help and support. And so that one person stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm just going to make sure I do my part, no matter how small, that might keep that other person working. Obviously, when you see all these things that are being repaired, all these towers that are being repaired, every one of these individuals that are mentioned, you know, too, they weren't the only ones working on these things. They were just heading up that particular project. So, I mean, there's literally probably thousands of people now doing the work of the Lord where before it was just nobody cared. Because one guy got a burden, all of a sudden now we see a great work being done. And so remember, the work of the Lord had basically come to a standstill and Israel was a reproach. But one guy, one guy gets everything going again. 
And so I can't emphasize enough, though, that a great work for God will never happen without there being a great deal of opposition. So chapter 3, we're, we're getting just basically a list of the people that are doing the work. And so when you're reading this chapter, it's exciting. Look at all these people getting to work. Look at all these different things that are getting repaired. You know, one of the things that catches my attention in that passage too, it mentions them working and repairing the Pool of Siloam, which, I, which uh, they have, or the Pool of Siloam, which they believe they found that over in Israel. I did a video when I'm over there, but I, apparently there's a lot more of it that needs to be ex- excavated. And um, shortly after I left there, uh, the uh, Israelis successfully seized a little more land uh, from the Palestinians. And so now they're doing another uh, excavation project and they're supposed to get all of this uh, excavated, which is, which is pretty cool. feel sorry for the Palestinians that lost their property, but uh, that's kind of how things are over there. But that's another lesson for another day. But either way, this, is, this work was great. And so when we're reading about it in this chapter, you know, we're not seeing the opposition. But now when we get into chapter 4, we kind of see reality. So often, you know, we hear about these in these footnotes in history about this person. You know, he pastored this church for 20 years. He pastored this church for 30 years. And, and it'll kind of highlight a lot of the great things. But one thing that we often fail to recognize is anytime you hear about anybody who did a great work for the Lord, with, if, you know, within that story, there is a negative side to it where they fought many battles, where there were many great challenges it's just the devil is not going to let a work take place without opposition. He is not going to let a good church grow without sowing some tares among the wheat. That's how it's always been. So here in chapter 4, we get a little more detail into what was going on as this great work is being done. And so it says, and it came to pass, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And so right here, Sam Ballot, he's kind of the lead scorner that we saw last week that we talked about. And these were men who just hated seeing the work of the Lord because they were enemies of Israel. This shouldn't have caused them fear, but it did because they were just bad guys. And there are, there's people out there that our church should not really affect their day-to-day life. But yet, it bothers them that we are here. It bothers them that we exist. It bothers them that we have the beliefs that we do, even though we've never hurt anybody. You know, and they just, they just can't stand that because there are people who hate the light. They just hate light because it exposes their deeds. That's why they, the uh, atheist religion goes after us so much because they, the atheist religion always is a supporter of perversion they are always the biggest supporters of the lgbt the trans rights and all that because it is an anti-god religion and unfortunately for them uh, the preaching of the truth that we do exposes the filthiness of their lifestyle the filthiness of their of their belief system and they don't like that so they need everyone to shut up about it they just hate light that's all there is to it because their, their deeds are being reproved by what we're saying. And so they're always going to be out there shouting things at us. You know what we got to do? We got to do what these guys did in Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's see a little bit more about what they did. And so verse 2, And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, 
Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? So notice, he starts saying these things among his people, but he's saying it where they can hear it. Okay, this was, and understand, they didn't have social media back in that day. So this would be like to, you know, him saying to all his Twitter followers, you know, their Facebook groups, and posting these things about the Jews. Look at what they're trying to do. This is going to fail. These people, and notice too, they're kind of like casting this negative, they're putting this negative slant on what they're doing. They're probably planning rebellion. We saw they did the same thing in Ezra. You know, look at what they're doing. I'll bet they want to do X, Y, and Z that's really bad. And isn't that what people do to us? You know, when they hear what we believe about sodomites and things like that, I'll bet they're planning, you know, some kind of, you know, terrorist attack or something like that. It's just like, and they say that amongst their followers. They say that in their social media groups. And they, and they do that hoping to stir their people up, you know, to kind of cause problems this way. So the scorners, the haters, they will always question motives when they don't actually have anything to accuse you of. And listen, I have got Baptist haters out there that are always trying to accuse me of weird things. And then, you know, whenever I'll get accused of something bizarre, you know, like there's, there's people that have accused me of anti-Semitism, which is ridiculous. And the, but they'll accuse me of that. And then when people question me on it and I explain my beliefs, they accuse me of walking back my statements. And it's just like, I didn't walk back anything. no. That person misquoted me. That person misrepresented me. I haven't walked back anything. I believe exactly what I believe. I believe exactly what the Bible says. But again, and then, but you know, Baptists as a whole, when it comes to prophecy, Israel, they are very insecure because their position is so bad and so weak. And so as a result of that, they kind of get their little groups where they get each other all fired up. And they say these things in a public way, knowing I'll see it hoping my followers will see it. it things haven't changed. Okay? Things have not changed. Human nature is human nature. We just have different tools. That's, all, that's the only difference. So verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. What's he doing? You know what he's doing right here? He's memeing them. How, how is he memeing? He's mocking them by putting a mental image of a fox climbing on the wall and knocking the whole thing down. Okay, Obviously, they didn't have Photoshop and all that stuff back then, so they couldn't do that. But this is literally him putting a, a mocking image. Isn't that what people do today? Uh, you know, they, so this is basically, you know, Tobiah was the first memer uh, that we see out there, making fun of Israel, making fun of them, making up memes about them. You know, and uh, they, they so they didn't have social media, so he just says it with his words. Okay? And so, and you know, back then people knew how to use words. You know, now we're so dumb. You know, we got to use pictures, and that, that's all we got. Uh, that's all we're able to do. We use gifs for everything, or gifs, however you're supposed to pronounce it. So, and the thing is, this doesn't even sound like a very impressive insult. Okay, you know, if a fox runs up on your wall, it's going to fall down. Well, duh, they should have just hit him with a yo mama joke, but they didn't have those back then yet. So verse four, I mean, that's the kind of level I feel like this uh, you know, accusation was. So, but notice, listen, nobody likes being made fun of. Even if the meme's lame like this, guys, notice what he said. Hear, O our God, for we are despised 
and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Hey, they, they didn't like getting made fun of. They didn't like having memes made about them. They didn't like these social media groups talking bad about them. They, you know, they were going checking online at night and seeing, look what everybody's saying about me. <laughs> and they, and they, they didn't like it. They didn't appreciate it. You know, but unfortunately, that's just how it is. They were doing a great work for the Lord. Of course, these people are going to pop up. It says, and cover not their iniquity. He's praying an imprecatory prayer right here. Cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Hey, he just prayed that these guys wouldn't get saved. Basically. Don't blot their sin out. Okay? Now, I, listen. This is, I, I do think this was the way to respond. Because, think about it. The reality was, they didn't physically do anything to them. But it still hurt. And things like this happen. And when they do, you need to give it to the Lord. And let the Lord do things in His time. Because notice that's what they're doing. They're praying out to the Lord for the Lord to do something. And when it comes to our enemies, just understand it is not our place to do anything to them. All these atheists and atheists and weirdos out there that are always going after us, we're not going to do anything about them. We're going to let the Lord. Why? Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. And so imprecatory prayers are good, but that doesn't mean that they are always called for. But, you know, this was a great example, I do think, when it was appropriate to pray one. And again, I do think, you know, some people would get so offended. How dare you pray that somebody doesn't get saved and that somebody goes to hell? And listen, some people, because there is a time and place, do it a little too often. I, 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 would, I would agree some people are a little too anxious to pray an imprecatory prayer. They cut somebody, somebody cuts them off in traffic. Now, I, I pray they have a wreck and go to hell. Now, you, know, you don't have to do that. Okay? You don't have to do that. There, there is a time and place, but it doesn't mean that it's all the time. Okay, So, I hope everybody gets a hold of that. But it is a reality. We have Nehemiah praying these people's sins wouldn't be blotted out. And, that, and, and again... That doesn't even have to mean necessarily they won't go to hell. But understand that they should have been judged for that sin that they did. Okay, it, for Even for Christians. You know, if you were in... I, I, I don't recommend praying in purgatory prayers against other Christians. But, you know, at the same time too, sometimes we might want somebody to learn a lesson. And so we might want God to hold someone accountable for what they did. You know, so they will learn their lesson... Again, e- either way, I'm just going to admit, I don't do a lot of imprecatory prayers. Okay, I, I don't, because most of the time when I feel like doing imprecatory prayers, I'm usually in the flesh. And, and at the same time, too, I'm afraid of asking God to judge people in a way where I don't want Him to judge me. Because okay? I like mercy a lot. But at the same time... Um, I, I, there, there is a time and place. It's just not all the time. But here's, here's a good example that it is okay sometimes. So verse 6. So, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. And it was Nehemiah. Nehemiah got them thinking this way. These people, they were ready to go. They showed up ready to work. And Nehemiah made this happen. And it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites 
heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth. And so when the scorners and the trolls mess with you, the best thing is to just keep moving forward. The thing that bothers them more than anything is that you not being affected by them. Because again, that's the purpose. The reason Tobiah did the meme about the fox was because he's trying to discourage them. He wants it to stop. He knows that they're building a wall that's going to be able to handle a fox running on it. He knows that. But he's like, I can't physically do anything to these people because they've got the Medes and Persians behind what they're doing. But I can verbally do something. I can verbally say something. I can, I can discourage them. And the hope is that people will just stop. And that's why you have people out there you know, you have the IFB sermon clips on Twitter and stuff like that. They're hoping that if they, you know, put those clips out there and they get everybody mocking and everybody saying bad things, they're hoping it will get preachers to back off. They're hoping it will get preachers to maybe shut up a little bit. And when you are not affected, when you are not moved by those things, it drives them crazy. They don't know what, they don't know what to do with it. And it, and usually it just makes them, it, it'll make them either just move on because they're like, I can't do anything. Or sometimes it makes them get crazier. Sometimes it does make them get crazier because they just can't handle that they have no power. And let me tell you something. You know, the Sambalas, the Tobias, they can only have power if we give them power. God did not, you know, again, God's called us to do a work. God's called us to obedience. God never said it would not be difficult. God never said we would not have opposition. But God did tell us He would be with us. God did tell us that eventually we will have victory. But in the meantime, you can never let the scorners affect what you do. You gotta keep moving, you gotta keep moving forward. And you know what? I love this because the Bible, it gives you the whole truth. And it says these guys, they were very wroth. Whenever they see the work continue to go forward, they got angry. And the best thing we could ever do to the haters is not go figure out how we can, you know, cut their brake lines or something like that. No, it's to keep moving forward to ignore them and just let them get angry and be miserable. Because again, you know, I, I think, I think the level of people we're referring to today, you know, with the atheists and stuff like that, these people are probably ones that we could get away with praying imprecatory prayers that their sins wouldn't be blotted out, you know, because they probably are uh, they probably are reprobate. And, and so at the same time, God did not call us to get vengeance on people. That's his. Okay? That's his. Have you ever seen in a movie before whenever there was going to be a battle and they're going to go fight these people and they're like, you know, the king or whatever, he's mine. You know, the leader will say, this one is mine. Well, you know what? We've been called to fight a battle. We've been called to do a work. But whenever it comes to that person who vengeance needs to come on them, blood needs to be shed. God has told us they're mine. And you know what you don't do? You don't go taking God's vengeance yourself. It belongs to Him. And if you do, He's going to be upset with you. So, again, that's why, uh, you know, we're just, we're never going to kill anybody. We're never going to go seek out our enemies or anything like that. Doesn't mean we can't defend ourselves. But we're never going to go seeking people out. So, verse 8. It says, and so and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. And so what, when you do this, it may just cause them 
to double their efforts. Like I said, they're going to lash out even more. But don't let that stop you. They win when you quit. That's when they win. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And understand, trusting God does not mean that we are careless, that we can't take precautions, that we can't watch. Because notice, that, now notice what they didn't do. They didn't cease the work so they could go figure out, let's go, let's go after these people. No, they kept doing the work, but they were ready because they, have, they had a right to defend themselves. If they start to mess with us, we're going to fight. We're going to defend ourselves. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build a wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, from all places, when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families and with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that would return all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows and the habergons and the rulers which uh, the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon for the builders. Everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. So again, they continued to work, but it's like in one hand they're doing the work and the other hand they got their sword ready to go. And again, nothing wrong with that. Okay. So we will never go out pursuing our enemies and stuff like that. But at the same time, too, I believe not only, thank God, does our country allow this, but you know what? I think God's okay with Christians packing. I think God's okay with that. You know, we are allowed to defend ourselves. We have a responsibility to defend ourselves. We have a responsibility to defend our, our wives and our families. And so, uh, I am I am a hundred percent for the right to keep and bear arms. And we live in a wicked world. And let me tell you something: our world is getting more and more lawless. Uh, our law enforcement is doing less and less to protect the people anymore. And uh, boy, I'm telling you, I, I I'd encourage people uh, to um, take advantage of our ability to purchase these firearms while we're still able to, because. Who knows how much longer we're going to be able to. But, uh, but this situation that they were in, this would have been a stressful work situation. Again, nobody wants to do work thinking they're, they're going to get attacked. But they had to keep doing the work. All these things they're saying, they could be saying it to bluff them. They could be saying it to just you know, to intimidate them, scare them. They just want the work to cease. But you know what? They didn't go out there and just expose themselves 
and make themselves sitting ducks. They were ready, they were prepared, and they did not let these things stop them, even though they are no longer working in an ideal situation. And so verse 19 says, And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. And this is important too because, and I, I've, I've emphasized this a lot as we've studied through passages before, but with Israel, they never ever needed to worry about numbers. They never needed to worry about opposing armies. The only thing they ever needed to worry about was being obedient to God. That was all they needed to do. All they needed to worry about was following the Lord, keeping His commandments, doing the things that He said to do. God told them, if you do all those things, I will, I will fight for you. I will take care of you. It didn't mean they wouldn't ever have to do any fighting, but we've seen many battles in Israel's history when they were following the Lord, when they were in obedience to Him, where they would fight these huge battles where they'd kill thousands of people and they would have no casualties on their side. I mean, there, we, there was one battle I preached about a long time ago where they literally just sang and their, in, their enemies were defeated. They had the battle of Jericho where they just marched around the city and then they started shouting and then the walls fell. God did that kind of thing for them all the time. Israel, the only thing they ever needed to worry about was, are we doing God's will today? If they were doing God's will that day, they were safe, they were protected, and I believe we ought to be the same way today. And let me tell you something. I'm not here to tell you that we all have a promise okay, of uh, you know, good health, good fortune. You know, we're not going to go through any kind of physical difficulties. We might. However, I would rather go through difficulties in the will of God than have go through good times out of the will of God. All our priority should be, is this the will of God? Our priority should be what's going to make us like people like us better what's going to make the church larger what's going to make us more popular our attitude ought to be what is god's will for this church if we're doing god's will for the church then god is able to do a work and that's ultimately what we ought to be here for you know man is capable of building mega churches man is capable of doing that but look how many people that go to these mega churches are actually on their way to heaven i mean we talk to people like that all the time we go soul winning, they are the furthest thing from Satan. We are trying to be a part of a work that God is doing that's actually getting people saved. We will not accomplish more through compromise by getting out of the will of God and doing our own thing. We will accomplish the most by yielding to the Holy Spirit, by submitting to the Word of God, submitting to God's will, and when we do that, God is able to protect us. And Israel, they're in a good spot right here because even though there's danger and they were doing everything that was their responsibility to do, they were ready to protect themselves, but they were, they continued doing the work of the Lord and they were right. If we've got to fight, the Lord will fight for us and we, we will be victorious. So this is, this is one of the, you know, I, I've never taken the time to do this. It would be an interesting study sometime if you could go and figure out through Israel's history how much of their history was actually them being obedient to the Lord. And it's a pretty small part of their history. But at the same time, too, they saw a lot of great things during that time. 
And we, and we need to learn from that. Most of their time was them backsliding on God, serving other gods, and having all kinds of problems. So verse 21 says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they might be a guard to us, and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which follow me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. And I, I do. I believe one of the keys to their success here was determination. They're like, we are going to get this done. The, they had a burden. First, it was Nehemiah had a burden. Nehemiah, he was glad they had the temple, but the city was still in ruins. The walls were broken down. It was a, the, the city was a shame and a reproach. During this time, too, while even though the temple was built and it was functioning and, and God was uh, you know, in what was being done there, it was a much inferior temple to what they had before. There was nothing glorious. God was not being glorified in any of these things. And these people had a burden. Nehemiah had a burden and he spread that burden. Other people had a burden. They just didn't have enough of a burden to actually get up and do something. But thankfully, Nehemiah, he got up and did something. It's kind of like even in America today. You know, we're all bothered by what's going on in this country. But at the same time, too, you know, what are we really doing about it? And we're all waiting for that George Washington or somebody to come along and is like, hey, it's time to do something. You know, and, you know, when if if that guy comes along and I don't think it's Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not going to say that I might not get involved (laughs) because uh, this this country is a mess for sure. But uh, thank thank God for Nehemiah's. Thank God for men who do. They have they have a burden, but they also have a vision. They have a plan. And they're willing to make these things happen and to get something done. And they didn't let anything stop them. This was, this was, this was a tough work, but it needed to get done. And they were, thankfully, Nehemiah inspired them just like Haggai and Zechariah had inspired the previous generation and got them to build a temple. Everybody wanted the temple rebuilt, but nobody was doing anything. Haggai and Zechariah come along, these two prophets of God. And they get them to move forward no matter what. And too many people, they're flopping out or they're just not even starting because of fear of persecution. But let me tell you, if you are not willing to start something for fear of persecution, the enemy won. They, they defeated you before you even got in the fight. And you understand, that's why they do that. That's why there's the trolls out there. That's why there's the haters out there. That's why there's all, all, you know, the, there's all these IFB haters out there. Why? Because they don't want anyone else to get in the fight. And there are, there are people out there, they're seeing the criticism, they're seeing the attacks, and they're surrendering and going full trendy before they even got in the battle. You know what? They won. The, the trolls won when you do that. And we can't let that happen. We've got to be willing to, you know, work and fight through battles and we've always got to be ready to work and we've always got to be ready ready to fight unfortunately we're gonna have to do both so some great inspiration here from nehemiah uh, nehemiah chapter three and four so let's pray dear lord thank you so much for this uh great example we have in the scriptures of uh, determination and people uh, doing your work and i pray lord you'll help us to learn from it i pray you'll help us to uh, not ever get sidetracked by the haters and trolls and people out there 
but we'll always just keep on moving forward. And I pray you'll uh, protect us and give us victory over our enemies. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.